So in this episode, um, I'm really talking more about the middle game, and I'm really going to go into it as in-depth as I can go. This is a, a lecture that I had in my archives from 2015 at the World Softball Clinic, which usually takes place annually at the Mohegan Sun Resort in Connecticut. Um, I had a great time there. I spoke twice. This was uh, one of the times where I actually filled the room up and there was so many people and there was so much energy in the room and we really got into it in terms of just breaking down the thought process and hitting and decision making and, and the process that the brain goes through uh, different drills to help activate the, the part of the brain that makes the decisions and that makes decisions fast and helping hitters to make those transitions from one level to another is something that most coaches at the youth level are not equipped to do but the hitters who are naturally inclined to make those decisions faster because they have the instincts and they have the uh, the softball IQ that helps them to operate on a higher level of consciousness are able to implement these things a little bit easier but I wanted to give them something to help the kids at the bottom of the lineup and the kids who struggle making the transition uh, do a better job of it so let's check it out this is uh, episode number 4 Rob Cruz mental slash emotional skills lecture World Softball Clinic Mohegan Sun Connecticut Welcome to the Transcending Sport Podcast with Rob Cruz, an audio experience bringing you interviews, conversations, and more from some of the most intriguing personalities in the sports world. And now, your host, Rob Cruz. Um, I guess the, the biggest question is, when we're developing mental skills with young female athletes, the question is, am I teaching mental skills or am I attempting to teach emotional skills? So it's, a, it's like a fine line between the mental game and the emotional game. And obviously, the way in which female athletes and females in general are wired, it can become more about the emotion more than it is about the brain or the actual cognitive process of processing visual information and processing not what they know and generating a response physically. So I think the, one of the biggest things is, as a coach, first and foremost, how am I, ref, uh, how am I getting across that information to those athletes? How am I communicating to my athletes? So the first and foremost thing that we want to do is we want to make sure that we are communicating in the positive. And this is what I mean when I say that. If and I'll give you an example. When I'm teaching in the positive, I'm saying, instead of me asking my team to, if I say at the end of a game, make sure you, you, make sure you guys don't leave your trash on the floor or don't leave Gatorade bottles on the floor in the dugout. Instead of me saying, don't leave stuff on the floor, I want to say, let's make sure we put all the garbage in the, in the garbage can or in the recycling bin. So what happens now is I just told them what they should be doing. I gave them something that was positive. I told them what they should be doing, but I never told them what they should not be doing. And here's the reason why. If I asked everybody in the room to not think about the purple elephant, don't think about the purple elephant. Do not think about the purple elephant. 
What's everybody thinking about right now? It's the same thing when I'm teaching athletes. So I'll never refer to an athlete and say, don't drop your back shoulder. Don't tilt your head. Don't sit on your backside. Don't have such a big stride. I never say the thing I don't want them to do in the, in the gesture or in, in the teaching cue. I always tell them what they should be doing, because I want them to visualize the words that I'm saying, because they're going to do that anyway. So I'll say, let's make sure, instead of saying, don't have a big stride, I'm going to say, let's make sure we have a short stride. Let's make sure we get our hands to the ball. I'm not going to say, let's make sure we don't drop our hands. <laughs> I'm going to say, let's make sure we get our hands to the ball, because I'm giving them the positive reinforcement in the team. Does everybody get that? So, so that, that's teaching in the positive versus teaching in the negative. So, for example, I have some hitters that are very overanalytical. And being overanalytical, or, or we call it, uh, what happens is para paralysis by analysis. So those hitters that are really smart, usually the hitters that are like straight A students, really smart, uh, are going to be going to be your over analytical athletes and you want to try to teach them not to think so much not to overthink the process that's one of the hardest things to do when you have players who when you have players who they're more cerebral in how they process information they're just cerebral people or cerebral athletes they're going to do everything up here with this and think 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 and overthink so I'll say to that hitter I'll, I'll try to teach in the positive and I'll say okay I want to make sure you have a short stride then they're going to ask me well is my stride too big <laughs> but I'm, I'm trying not to get them to focus on how big the stride is. I'm trying to get them to focus on how short we want the stride to be. So if everybody follows along that lines, you understand how we want to re, um, rethink how we're, how we're uh, communicating with our athletes. So communication is going to be the key. It's going to be the key. Um, you're going to have some athletes who learn in different modalities. So here are the three primary learning modalities. Visual. Some athletes are visible, so they're going to be better at seeing. And usually when they want to see, they, may want, they might want to see somebody else's swing on video. They might want to see their swing on video. Or they might want to see you as a coach actually demonstrate. And if you're not a good demonstrator, that's fine. All you got to be able to do is just get yourself into whatever position it is and hold that there. You don't have to like have the swing and have all the swag and everything like that, but you, you got to be able to at least get yourself into that position so they can see it and visualize it. And, and pretty much most people are pretty visual, which is the reason why a lot of social media, pictures, you know, a lot of video, you know, those are the most, the most successful apps when you look on social media and things like that because it's, you're talking about pictures. When coming up in, in grade school, every, everything was A is for apple, B is boy, C is cat, D is dog, E is elephant. So they always associate a letter with a sound with a picture because most people are pretty much visual. Um, I feel like everyone is going to be more kinetic. This is another, another modality. So we have visual, and now let's talk about kinetic slash feel. So most athletes and most successful um, Hitting tools that you can buy when you go to the vendor's booths are going to be the, the hitting tools that cause hitters to feel what's going on easier. So it makes teaching easier because if I can feel it as a hitter, now I really understand it. How do we know that? When everybody was a little bit younger, maybe one, two years old, and your parents said, that's hot, don't touch it, what'd you do? You touched it. Now you know what hot is. <laughs> okay, that's what hot means. 
because I felt it. So now they said, don't touch it, it's hot. I felt it, now I understand that it's hot. It's going to be the same thing with hitters. Once they are able to feel it. So for me, my favorite um, hitting devices or hitting tools would be one, to create, to create better feel, would be doing a lot of low T. And I'm going to tell you this. Um, I, I started doing low T in 2010. I'm kind of new to, to, to doing low T. So as low as you can get a T would be your best bet. And I'm going to spend a little bit of time on this, and then I'm going to go, go to the third modality. Um, so low T, you guys ever heard of the inside of that? Inside of that, if you're not familiar with it, it's the red little bat that it looks like a little bit like a spatula. And what it does is it really helps the hitters to feel the hands leading the barrel, and it gets them in that real good position to be able to create more backspin and create bat lag and create more bat whip. I really feel like every single hitter on the planet should have one in their bag. And what they have all over the place, low tees. There wasn't one tee in the entire facility at University of Florida that was higher than the knee. Why? Because the most dominant pitch in the SEC conference is probably the drop ball. It's probably the most effective pitch in softball. Because of that, we need to get our hitters to be able to feel this position. It puts their weight on their front feet, on the front part of their feet, and it keeps them in a position where they can get the sweet spot in the zone longer on the lower pitches. But from here, my weight's on my heels and my bat's shorter. So it magnifies the effectiveness of the drop ball. And that's what good hitting coaches know. You guys understand? So, so we, we're creating more opportunities for our athletes to feel stuff. So that's the, that's the second learning modality. That's the second learning modality. No particular order, but that's the second learning modality. Third primary mo modality is going to be audio, auditory. A lot of really good hitters. In fact, in my experience, uh, I've been teaching hitting professionally since 1997. Um, in my experience, hitters that I can just tell them something and say get that done audibly, and for them to be able to visualize what I just said and then implement it in the next swing, those are like usually your, your smarter 4.0 advanced placement, high SAT, high, high, high um, ACT score type of, type of athletes. They're going to be able to process it, get it, and get it, and go. Other hitters are going to be more like, okay, if I don't feel it, I'm not going to understand it. So you want to be able to put their body in that position, get them to feel it kinetically. So we want to try to teach. So here's the, here's the real mental game. As a coach, if you can teach in three modalities, every time you teach, you're, you, know you're, you know you're not going to miss what modality that player uh, is learning from. She's the coach who talks to these athletes because these athletes can hear her. But those athletes never hear me. Is everybody following? Because some athletes are hearing certain coaches, and some athletes don't hear you. Like, for example, your daughters don't hear you, do they? <laughs> You know what I'm talking about. But there's another assistant coach maybe on your staff or there's another, there's another person on your staff that your daughter's here. It has nothing to do with that you don't know what you're talking about. It's just that mentally she doesn't hear you. She doesn't really want to hear you. <laughs> so and I, I went through the same thing with my son. I wouldn't even, I would get into the cage with him and I'd end up throwing a ball at him. I'm in the cage with him throwing my son BP and I'm like, I next, my next one's coming at his head. 
You know, so it's just like it becomes a frustrating situation. So the mental game is really all about that, that communication. Is there a communication gap? Are we creating a communication gap? Or are we, are we closing the communication gap in our effectiveness of how we're, how we're, how we're developing? So what I want to say is if, I'm, if I want to give a, a hitter a teaching cue, I'm going to say, hey, let's make sure we got a strong, a strong closed front side on that front foot, strong and closed. So front foot, strong and closed. I'll demonstrate it. I'll put myself in that position so they're seeing me do it. They're hearing me say it, and then if they're not able to do it, I'm going to stop what I'm doing, and I'm going to go down to their foot with my hands, and I'm going to put their foot in a closed position so that they can feel it. So I covered all three, and you know that's how I do it. I've been working with them for years, those two. That's, that's the only way I do it. I'm not just going to sit on a bucket and just talk. I'm going to actually get off the bucket and go over to them and actually put their hands in that position so they can feel it, put their bat in that position so they can feel it, because they're not going to be able to mentally grasp it if I don't do it in that fashion. So over time, those hitters that are mostly kinetic will become better audio. And we know this. We know who's audio. And by the way, it, it translates into schoolwork. So your, your daughters and your, and your players that are younger that actually can look at their notes one time, and they got it, and they're ready for the test, they're probably more visual. The players that have to actually write their notes more than once to get it are probably what? Kinetic. The players that can hear the professor or the teacher just get up in front of the classroom and just talk, they don't have to take notes, those are your audio. So they're the same type of student that they're going to be in the classroom is going to be the same type of player they're going to be on the field in terms of how they learn, how they process new information, how they retain new information. It's going to be the same thing in the classroom as it is going to be on the, on the softball field. It's not going to be different. So, uh, at, so when we go through uh, that part of it, that, that gives you the, a foundation of how am I going to be presenting to my athletes? Am I going to be audio, visual, visual, or kinetic? When am I going to be doing that the most? And am I going to be able to incorporate all three? Okay, that's one. Two, let's go back to this now. The most, the biggest issue that I'm finding in softball and just hitting in general all over the country, the biggest issue that I'm finding as, as players start to move up. So real quickly, by show of hands, how many people here coach 10 and under? 12 and under? 14? 16? 18 and under? College coaches? Yeah. Okay, so as, as hitters begin to transition from, from 10 and under all the way up, my, my, my halfway mark is right around 14 and under, still 14, 15, because the game changes significantly. What changes about the game? It gets faster. The hitters are hitting the ball a little harder. The field never changed. <laughs> In baseball, at least the field changes. In softball, the field never changed. Okay? They're hitting it harder, and the pitchers are pitching it faster. So now my visual processing system has to be able to speed up. So let me explain something to you how it works. When I'm identifying athletes and I'm saying, and I'm looking at a third, by the way, if somebody's 13, I already, I'm already going to know whether or not they're going to be able to play Division I, mid-major, Division II, or Division III. I can tell. Okay, because it comes down to one thing. It comes down to how quickly and how fast they can process visual information. I'll give you an example. And this is what you have to make it the main focus, because if you're going to be able to help, help hitters develop mentally, develop in the mental area, you have to be able to identify who's slower in their cognitive process, and I'm going to explain what that is in a second, and who's faster 
And the ones that are slow, how do I get them faster? And the ones that are fast, how can I keep them fast? Here's how he's going to do it. Understand that the process works like this. My eyes are going to visually interpret what's happening on the field. My eyes are going to communicate that visual information to my brain. My brain is then going to process that information slower or faster. It's going to be different for different players on your team. And then my body, based on how many reps I've taken in, in practice, is going to be able to generate the appropriate, effective, and efficient, and accurate response to what I visually interpreted. So if, the, if, you're, if you're absorbing visual misinformation, then obviously there's going to be a breakdown in, OK, what am I seeing? That's when mechanics break down. Mechanics break down because I'm getting visual misinformation. If the visual information is correct, like we talked about in the last session, then I'm going to be able to have better mechanics because my mechanics are not, are not distorting my perception of reality. So this girl will swing out a ball in the dirt, but she didn't think it was low. The whole grandma in the stands, everybody saw that it was low. It was in the dirt. But she didn't think it was low. That's why she swung. Or she didn't think it was high. It's visual misinformation. So the, the, the main issue that I, that I work with when we're making that transition from 14 to the higher levels of pitching is really one thing. It's decision making. It's decision making, pitch recognition. How do I know that I'm making the right decision? And when do I determine the right decision? I'm going to give you four things. And then we're going to, I'm going to show you the drills that every hitter needs to know. And, and, and please, don't wait till they turn 14 to start teaching it. Teach them when they're 11 so that when they get to 14, it's like, I've been doing this for three years. Let's go. Instead of, oh, now I've got to learn something new and the game is faster. Now I'm trying to learn it and play. That's really not easy. That's a lot to ask from a young player mentally to be able to make that transition. So here's what we do. We want to get them to make better decisions. We want to get them to make faster decisions. Okay? So we're going to say, yeah. These are the four things that, that a hitter has to know in the box. So she got, her, she got one foot out of the box. She's looking down at her third base coach for the sign. Before she puts that foot back in the box, she needs to be able to answer these four questions. What is it? Where is it? Where is it going? And what am I going to do with it if I get it? What am I going to do with it if I get it? I'll repeat them. What is it? The pitch. Is it a rise ball? Is it a drop ball? Is it a curve ball? Is it a screw ball? Is it a change up? Where is it? Inside, outside, high, low. Where is it going to be? What am I going to do with it if I get it? Am I going to go oppo with it? Am I going to go back up the middle with it? Am I going to try to pull this pitch? If at the next level of hitting, if you don't already know that by the time you put your foot in and dig in, that means you're trying to figure it out in flight. And that's what your 789 and bench warmers are doing. Your 789 bench warmers are doing it the other way. Because 13 and under, you can do that and still be good. Because you have time. At this level, at a higher level, you don't have as much time. 
So it, hitting becomes more about anticipation and less about reaction. And that's honestly, that's like for me, that's my biggest challenge when I'm developing next level hitters, when I'm developing them here mentally, is how do I get them to understand this? And I'm going to show you the drills to help reinforce it and kind of reverse the thinking process. So my thing is, the main question is, like, okay, what are you thinking about? And usually I can look at how somebody's moving and say, this is what this hitter is definitely thinking, and they definitely have reverse thinking. So they do well against the mediocre pitching, but as soon as somebody gets in and, and she's like the hard thrower, or as soon as I get to Sunday, you guys know what I'm talking about. Now where do all my hitters go? We just crushed Saturday. Now it's Sunday, we on 95 going home. First game. Why? She's still throwing strikes. She's only throwing only about five mile an hour faster, but that's all it takes. Okay? So we got what is it? Where is it? Where's it going? How do I get there? So if you if you go to if you ever have the opportunity to travel to Tuscaloosa, to the University of Alabama, softball field, on the left field foul on the left field line, I don't even know if, if Coach Murphy even talked about this or not, but um, on the left field foul pole they have a sign that says three words, yes, yes, no. So when those hitters step out of the box and look down the line, they, they look past Coach Murphy at the third base box, you know what they see? The sign that's posted, yes, I think it's still there, <laughs> yes, no. Here's what that means. She's in the setup, she already committed to a pitch. She watched that pitcher warm up, which most teams don't. So before that pitcher even gets in the circle, she already knows what her best pitch is. Because whatever pitch that pitcher is in love with, she's going to throw it a lot in the bullpen, yes? So before the game even starts, we already kind of should know what we're looking for, the mental game. Because don't tell me if you haven't watched that pitcher before she pitched. Don't ask me what's wrong with your swing if you haven't even done a little bit of homework. So she already knows this girl is definitely, let's say she's a screwball pitcher. If she threw 10 pitches in the bullpen, nine of them were screwballs. So guess what I'm going to get in the game? Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to be real smart to, to figure that one out. So she's already, she already knows because she bats, she bats fifth for her team, let's say. So in the first inning, she's already seen four people hit. So she pretty much knows what she's going to get first pitch. She pretty much knows what she's going to get second pitch, and she pretty much knows what she's going to get third pitch because four people already hit. So technically, how many at-bats have you had? Four. She's had four at-bats. Her second time up, how many at-bats have you had? Five. A lot of math, right? Thirteen at-bats probably, somewhere around 13 at-bats. Okay? So, so now she's like, I had 13 at-bats. Let's go. I know, I know exactly what's coming. When I talk to um, All-Americans, U.S. Olympians, Professional hitters, they all say the same thing. Here's what they tell me. 90% of the time, I know exactly what's coming. And here's what they also say. And I'm not guessing. I know. And for a lot of coaches that are sitting here, you're saying to yourself, you're sitting in the third base box like, here it comes. You're like, here it comes, the change up. And your hitter goes, and you knew it. Why didn't they know it? That, I mean, that, and that's because they got to play. Everybody, everybody, everybody understand where we're going now? That's, that's, the, that's the mental game right there, so get set. 
So she knows what's coming. She's sitting on a screwball. She's sitting on it, and she's going to that spot. She's anticipating screwball. She wants to get her hands out to here on that pitch. Okay, so she gets there. So she just goes to that spot. If that pitch is not that pitch, for whatever reason, then she's going to what? She's going to take the pitch. Ball or strike, I'm taking. Obviously, with two strikes, it becomes different. So now we're starting to get into now, now we're starting to get into game plan now. What's our team game plan? What's our team strategy versus this type of pitcher? Do we have one? Do we have a team strategy? What do I do against a drop ball pitcher? Am I up in the box? Or am I deep in the box? How many people like their players to be up in the box at any given time? Up in the box, raise your hand. And it, it can change, but sometimes you want them up, sometimes you want them back. It can change up in the box. How many coaches somewhere in the middle? For the most part, how many coaches back of the box? Okay. So I'm going to give you my opinion, and I want to, I want to, I want to share what, what I, how, I, how I feel about that. If I'm facing a pitcher who throws really, really hard, I want my hitters to get as far back in the box as they can. I want my first batter to rub out that back line so that all my other hitters can get further, further back. The catcher's not going to squat down until the batter gets set. We're wiping out that back line because I want to make sure that my hitters get as much time as possible to be able to read the pitch, to get a good read. Also, what that does to the pitcher is it forces her to have to get her ball to break later, which if you ask any pitcher on the planet, that's harder to do. So if you feel like if I move up in the box, my pitcher is going to make that. Don't go off the, off the thing. You good? <laughs> so, if I, so if I get my pitcher to move up in the box, um, my hitter to move up in the box, if I feel like it's going to make the pitcher make her ball break, uh, late, uh, I'm going to catch it before it breaks. That's the thing. Let's move up. Let's catch it before it breaks. You're not giving pitchers any credit. You think a pitcher's going to make her ball break in the same spot when the hitter moves up? She's going to make it break sooner, which is a little bit easier for her to do. Back, now she's got to get that ball to break later, which is a lot more difficult to do, and it gives you more time. So I'll give you some math. And you can check the math, because I've actually done the math. Um, if a pitcher throws, and you don't face that many of them, but if someone throws in the, in the right around 63 miles an hour from 43 feet, here's what the math says, that that ball is traveling 10 inches every hundredth of a second. So in our world, and by the way, a 65-mile-an-hour fastball is equivalent to like a 96-mile-an-hour fastball in baseball, just so you know. It's hard. It is not easy. Okay, so just, just so you know, now, now that we understand that, if I, can get, if I can get my hitters to get this much, in our world, 10 inches is a really big deal. Because we can't fathom a hundredth of a second. We can't imagine a hundredth of a second. Try to imagine that. Can you imagine what a hundredth of a second? You can't. But if I put it in a spatial term, space, that's a hundredth of a second. That's two hundredths of a second. Now we can kind of fathom it. Now we see what, it, what, it, what, it, what the value of that much time and distance. So all I want to do is be able to get my hitters 10 inches. It's the same length of the, um, the, of the, of the, the, the grip on your bat, 10 inches. That's all I want to be able to get, and I'm good. That's all we want to be able to do. And a lot of it has to do with, are they anticipating or are they trying to react? So good hitters are anticipating, and when you anticipate, you are anticipating where the ball is, what the ball is about to do. When you're reacting, you're reacting to what the ball has already done. So who are going to be the better hitters? The hitters who react or the hitters who anticipate? Hitters. 
Obviously, the hitters who anticipate. So get set. If I'm a shortstop, it's the same way. If the inside pitch is coming, and I see that it's inside, and I see how her body's starting to turn, a good shortstop is already on their way to that, to that spot where the ball's going to be before she hits it. A good shortstop isn't going to wait until she hits it over there and go, round ball short. Okay, I think I'll go over there. Now you know she's an outfielder. And those are the players who need masks. Those players need masks more than anybody else because they're not reading the game fast enough. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? Okay, now, let's talk drills now. Okay, so, you're up, you're now, you're up. Bat, yep. Righty batter. We're going to hit into that, hit into this net, this curtain right there. Yeah, you can leave that. You can leave it. Yep, you're good. Come this way. Yep. So, decision-making one-on-one. Most people struggle with it because most people don't work on it. If hitting was mechanics, <laughs> if hitting was swings, <laughs> oh, this is going to be good. If hitting was swings, that means I could make everybody in here swing perfect, which is easy to do, and they'd all be good hitters. But what's a perfect swing anyway? Like, is that even possible? So guess what? It's not about swings. If I make your, if I make your swing perfect right now, if I made your swing perfect right now, that's probably like 30% of hitting. There's still another 70% of other stuff you have to be able to do to really, really get better. And how much do girls even get better after they turn 15 anyway? How much better are they going to get? Mentally and, and visually, they're going to get better. But is their shoe size getting bigger? Are they like bench pressing like 350? Probably not. Okay, so I have these two different color balls here, two different color balls. There's a red one, and there's a blue one. And the, colors, the color differences are kind of subtle. It's not really obvious. But here's the deal. I need Courtney to start her swing before she makes a decision. Or I need Courtney to make a decision when she starts, and then if the, decision is, if the ball becomes different, she can stop her swing. That's the reason why the left field sign says yes, yes, no. Because hitters should be in yes mode. So they're saying, she's, so she's already, pitcher's in the circle, she's, she's in the box. The pitcher is, she's already decided she's swinging. She has made a decision before the pitch is pitched. She's definitely swinging. She's not going to try to figure it out in flight. She's definitely swinging. So that means when the pitcher pitches it, she's already committed. If the ball doesn't match what she committed to, then she's going to change her, she's going to change her mind in flight. She's only got to make one decision. What's that decision? No. That's the decision. But if she didn't make a decision, yes or no, now she has to make two different decisions. And that's where our 789 batters, our 56789 batters, our players that are pitch playing against better pitching on Sunday, that's where they're getting stuck. When do I say yes? Well, you say yes right now, before the ball's pitched. So your yes ball is going to be red. Got it? Got it? Courtney's yes ball is red. I got two in my hand. She doesn't know which one I'm going to release. Her yes ball is red. It was blue, so she took. Everybody got that? I'm randomly switching up what I release, but I don't tell her. I got two different color balls in my hand. Her yes ball is red. Yes, ball's red. Good. Yes, ball's red. Good. Everybody get that? 
So now what I just did, thank you. So what I just did was I created a drill that actually forced her to have to, to have to commit to something and then have the ability, the flexibility to change her mind late. Yes, 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 yes. Nope. Ball. Yes, 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 yes. Bang. Because it because it matched, <laughs> because it matched what she was what she was doing. Does everybody get what I'm saying? If your hitters are letting the pitcher pitch it, which works at 10U, works at 11U, it works at 12U, it works at 13, 14U, when you get 16, that doesn't work anymore. And they're, but they're still doing it at 16U. Now I'm late because this girl's 10 miles an hour, 8 miles an hour faster. The game just sped up, but I didn't adjust my mental game. My mental process never adjusted. So now she used to be so good. She used to be the best hitter on the team. Now she's like, now she wants to play lacrosse. Like it's crazy. That was supposed to be a joke, lacrosse joke. Ha uh ha. -huh. It's okay. <laughs> so no offense to lacrosse players, but yeah, but but they, now they want to play lacrosse because guess what? I don't gotta hit 400 to be good in lacrosse. I just gotta be fast to be in lacrosse. So everybody get where we're going? So that that decision making process, the decision making exercise, forces them to have to reverse how they think in the hitting process, which goes against everything that they've done their whole life from six to 13, because you were in the backyard with your, with your daughter when she was five, telling her when to swing. Swing now. Okay, swing. And then they've done it, they've done it that exact way, all the way to like 12 and under. Now we're saying it's the reverse. And at the higher levels, ESPN top 20 softball levels, which is the level you should be teaching at, and, and making those girls aspire to get to that level mentally, that's what goes on at that level. And those girls, I mean, you don't even want to stand in there. It's, it's, it's legit. Okay? Now, one more drill. One more exercise. Uh, you're up. You got that? Yeah. <laughs> you're on this side. Nope. Same way she was. Oh, right there. That's good, right there. Yep. Ready? Just face me a little bit. Turn this way a little bit. Right there. Pause. No, nope. a little bit more. Yeah, good. So what I do when I do this drill is I only, allow co I only allow a coach to do this drill. And I won't do this drill with a, with a, with a real ball. I do it with a ball that can't hurt anybody, i.e. me, the tosser. <laughs> okay, so um, and what I want to be able to do is uh, we have to begin to start training players to understand break angles. To understand that the angles that balls break on. Because in front toss, it's very difficult to simulate a break angle if I don't know how to throw with spin. So how am I preparing my girls for in-game? So if I peek over at a game pre-game, if I'm pre-game, and I peek over at the other team, and I find their pitcher, and I see that she's throwing this pitch or that pitch more often than not, I'm going to kind of alter my pre-game to match what their pitcher is doing. Because I need to prepare my kids. I don't want to work them out. I don't want to warm them up. Trust me, they were warm when they got up. I don't want to warm them up. I want to prepare them for the game. <laughs> so it's going to be a little bit different. So we got a curveball pitcher over there. I want to simulate curveball. Okay? So I'm going to, I, want, I want Bree to see this. And I want her to work on letting the ball get to that spot and taking that pitch Oppo. Everybody know what oppo means? 
if you don't, it means opposite field, <clears throat> opposite field. Okay? So now we got, we're going oppo, and we're, we're, we're working on that, on that outside pitch, working on that, on that break angle. So she's working on letting that ball travel, break, and, and then I'm going to give her some bad ones, and so she can work on separation. You see how she didn't lunge forward on the take, right? See how on her take she never lunge forward? That's what you want to make sure your players are doing. So every now and then, you want to throw them a bad one so that they, so they, can, so they can work on good taking with the, right body, with the right body posture. Taking with the right body posture. Good take. Here we go. Curveball. Bang. And you can do this with a real ball. You can do this with a fake ball. You could, I mean, with a wiffle ball. I mean, not a real ball, I'm sorry. But I, I would do it with balls that aren't that, that, that you know, difficult to use. Now, on the reverse side of that, if I'm working, we'll get them later. Don't worry about it. Have a seat. So I have enough. Get you back, court. If I want to work screwball, it's going to be a little bit different. Because I'm preparing them for a screwball pitcher, same way. So I do this kind of stuff like this time of year. And the reason why is because as we get closer to the season, like I consider this, I consider January like the season's here. Because if you don't got it now, like we ain't going to get it. So whatever you got, whatever, that's what it's going to be what it is. We're not going to do a whole lot of teaching right now. Like whatever you did September, October, November, December, that was teaching. Now this is like getting ready to play. Okay, so... Yeah, you got it. So when we, do, when we talk about the screwball, it's really about contact position and hand path more. So I, I want to try to reinforce this, 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 this theory of do the hands lead the barrel? Of course they do. But I need her, I'm, I'm exaggerating it because I need her to go ahead and get the, you see that angle that she created? I don't know if everybody can see that angle from, that's behind her, but turn your body this way. Yep. So on the inside pitch, She's, she's getting on the inside half of that ball and getting that sweet spot to the ball. So her, she has palm up, palm down here, and her hands are leading the barrel, but the screwball, if she misses it, she's going to miss it foul. All they did was try to, hit, try to, take, that, try to take the screwball foul, <clears throat> the whole team, that was their game plan, take the screwball foul, foul. So if they missed, they were missing foul, wore her down, and the one that she didn't get to the spot, they hit him over the left field, left field fence. So, but but it, was just, it was just smart coaching. Smart hitting coaching. So it's, it's, it's going to be hands inside and getting to that spot with her hands so that she can get the sweet spot to that screwball. And if she misses it, she's going to miss it foul. Who's hurt? No one. But we just don't want to miss it late, pop up, jammed. So here's what we do. So when I do this drill, I'm tossing the ball directly at Courtney's, the stripe on her shorts. Or if she had like a number on her thigh, I'd be tossing it right at that number on her thigh or that pocket or the Nike sign or the Under Armour sign or whatever it is. And she would just need to try to make sure she hits, she gets her hands out, and if she misses, she's going to try to miss foul. Okay? Get there. And I'm, and I'm simulating the screwball break angle because I'm going right at her front hip. It's really not even a hittable pitch. But all I'm doing is I'm preparing, I'm getting her eyes and hands geared up for that pitch because that's who I'm playing in, in 20 minutes. So we're gearing up the hand pass, we're gearing up the, the and it's getting, her, it's getting her mentally prepared, thank you, it's getting her mentally prepared for what's going to happen in that pitch, in that next game. So what we can do 
is we can, um, we can, we can create some discipline. So discipline and decision-making go hand in hand. Can you let me know when uh, it's, uh, I think I'm done at, what? It's 3.11? Time flies. I'm done at 3.30? 15? Okay, I didn't know. Time flies. Okay, I'm, let, me, let me do this. I'm going to do one more and then we're going to be done. Time just, where'd time go? Okay, so discipline and decision making go hand in hand. So most hitters are struggling with discipline and they don't know how to make the right decisions because you don't practice it enough. So I walk by batting cages and I watch people train, I watch people work out, I watch people swing, and here's what we need to have more of going on. So a disciplined hitter is going to be able to uh, break the strike zone up into parts. So my hitters are trained to cut the strike zone into quadrants, hemispheres and quadrants. So we already eliminated half the strike zone because we're only going belly button down. We're not swinging at anything in BP. I don't care if you can crush it or not. We're not swinging at anything in BP that's above the belly button because there's no reason to because where's that ball on its way to anyway? And nine times out of ten, if you're swinging at a rise ball, you're fouling it off or you're missing it, if it's a good one. You're fouling it off or you're, or you're missing it. So we, already cut, so we already eliminate that pitch. Rise ball pitchers are going to throw the rise ball early in the count to try to get you to swing so they can see if you're going to chase it or not. Once they've determined whether you're going to chase it or not, and if you're a chaser, it's coming back again in the next two pitches. Now they at least have two strikes. If you take that first rise ball, they're going to go to another pitch. It's not going to come back. Everybody get it? So, so how do you hit the rise ball? You take the rise ball. And you hit something else. That's how you hit the rise ball. Everybody got that? That's how you hit it. A good one. We, we're training our hitters from September to be, to be disciplined. Okay? So we're going belly button down. So she, she's, she's anticipating the ball. Mid-thigh, top of the knee. Mid-thigh, mid-thigh, top of the knee. You're good. Mid-thigh, top of the knee. Good. Mid-thigh, top of the knee. Everything that's up here, she's going to leave it. Everything that's up here, she's going to leave it. Got it? Mid-thigh, top of the knee. So she's anticipating. All right, pause. You're good. So she's anticipating that ball, mid-thigh, top of the knee, mid-thigh, top of the knee. And when she gets it, she crushes it. If it doesn't match, then she's taking. And because she's practiced that for years and years and years, when she gets to the next level, it becomes easier for her to do. It becomes so much easier for her to do. Okay, so those are just some ideas on uh, pre-game preparation, how your practice segment should look, and so forth and so on. Uh, any questions on any of that so far? Any questions? Okay, I'm gonna let you guys go because I know you have other things to get to. Um, thank you for coming to the segment. Hope it was helpful. 